Okay. <clears throat> hey, and welcome to another episode of As the Stomach Churns. I'm just gonna let, maybe I should let you guys maybe one of you guys maybe no, it's a new year upset. no no maybe it's like it's a new year maybe it's somebody else's turn to turn over a new leaf I, yeah. it's, no. I, it'd be interesting why not it'll be like a deep cut for for all the big fans it's like do you remember episode 103 when Ryan did the intro that was amazing no This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. My name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Fleury. Hey. And Mr. Steve Barkley. What? Where? Uh, and uh, yeah, here we are. We Together survived a long again. weekend. We did. Barely. Uh, yeah, you were looking, Steve, you were looking a little uh, a little groggy when you picked me up this morning. I'm tired. Say. Yeah. Yeah, you had a big potluck or something over the weekend, didn't you? Oh yeah, mega, massive, huge. So for your, so does like the entire complex show up for that? Not the entire complex, but we actually did get a good number of people from both sides of the complex. Whereas usually one half of the complex doesn't show up at all. So, and there were a ton of kids, lots and lots of kids. Oh yeah, is your pool open now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it opened up on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Really. I think we should start. Maybe we should start poolside recording the podcast. <laughs> there you go. And just come over. Brian, is all this stuff portable? Can we can we actually hook this up? Uh, if you have a long extension card for the mixer. Yeah, sure. We can do that. We'll get our good friend Rick to set us Pool set party. us up with something, and we can just wheel it wheel it to the. Sure. I'm only half joking. <laughs> <laughs> Rob and his little umbrella drinks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Welcome to AT Banter Tiki Room. Mm -hmm. Ah, listen, it'll be good. Um, hey, Ryan. Rob, what uh, what kind of stuff are we doing today? Today we're talking with Colleen Connor from the Blind Inspiration Podcast. Yeah, this should be interesting. Uh, do, uh, where where did you find Miss Connor? I don't remember if it's one that you had suggested or if I was just doing a Google search for fellow podcasters. Ah, uh, yes. I do love talking to fellow podcasters. Makes me feel less isolated when I'm sitting in the editing bay editing this thing. <laughs> uh, no, it should be interesting. Yeah, she's uh, she's done some really interesting uh, stuff. She's got a, a, a really cool YouTube channel as well um, where she sort of walks walks people through all the intricacies of, of having a guide dog right from like first getting her, mm -hmm. her dog and you know, all the, all the trappings and all the things that, that, uh, need to be done when you have a guide dog, which I think, you know, a lot of people don't even realize how, how complicated it is. It's not just, you don't just slap a harness on a dog and yeah. away you go. So, but for right now, you guys want to talk, uh, a little news. Let's talk news. Wait, wait, wait. 
We, what? We, 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 we still need to somehow, at some point in time, come up with a news bumper for the show. Yeah, a news bumper? I can make, we can make a news bumper. Well, we've talked about that for like two years now. I know, but... <laughs> news. <laughs> Moose. <laughs> oh, nice. I saw what you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. Here, here, here. Stop, stop laughing for that. News. <laughs> that is not the new news bumper. <laughs> I'll see what it I should be. <laughs> All right, people. If you, if you just heard a really cool jingle, that's our new news bumper. And if not, uh, <laughs> I'll just edit all this shit out. Alrighty. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Let's say you. It was actually a bit of a, a bit of a good news week, uh, as you guys may have heard. Um, heard, get it? Heard. It was, yeah. News. <laughs> no, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> no, as you guys know, last week was Global Awareness. Uh, global, ugh, it was Global Awareness Day. It was, it was global the day to be day. aware of I the globe. <laughs> I live on a planet. <laughs> I had no idea. Thought I felt the Earth move. Yeah. No, uh, last week was uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day. It was. It Yeah, clearly you were aware of that. I was aware of that. Uh, yeah, and so we got some, some, some very cool news out of that. Um, the main one I thought was the coolest was, uh, did you guys hear about this new... Um, this new uh, Xbox controller that that Microsoft has has designed. Uh, I might have heard about it, yeah, because you, you sent me the link. Uh, <laughs> that does sound like, <laughs> and I actually clicked the link and read it. I thought this was fantastic. But uh, for those people who are have not heard about this, Microsoft announced uh, on Friday that they have developed a completely adaptive joystick for their very popular Xbox One console yeah uh, well absolutely i mean uh, honestly like it's 2018 i mean i can't believe that that no console has done this up to this point the story that we're going to link in the show notes actually takes you right through the process and and the entire development process it's a fascinating read and it's it's a real it's real insight into uh into the gaming community and especially the disability gaming community um which uh, I mean, I think this is, you know, even stepping away from from our normal soapbox that we stand on, uh, from a business point of view, this is a brilliant move because this caters to a very underserved population. And so th there's a there's a big audience, I think, for this because there are tons of people who could be using um, not only this controller. I mean, this controller is completely switch adapted. Yeah. So with in terms of every single button... Um, or button combination, you can plug a switch into it. Um, so there's really, there's no limit of where you can go with this controller. So let me ask you guys this, because I haven't played a console system since the Super Nintendo, and I don't know that probably what had a joystick and two buttons. So what is the new button controller, or what is how many buttons are on the new controllers nowadays on the like PlayStation or the Xbox? Oh, well, I mean, there are... Let me see. Well, I have, a, I have a PlayStation 4. So there are four sort of main buttons. Then there are trigger buttons. Right. Um, so there's two uh, and uh, two upper ones and two lower ones. So there's another four, four buttons there. Uh, then there are... Two joysticks. Two joysticks. Wow. 
Um, Each of which can be depressed for a trigger for for a, a button click. For a button click, well. okay. So that would be another eight. Yeah. And then uh, no ten, because you got the four directions plus. Uh, oh, of course. The down, so ten. That's right. Four, the th yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's so right. fourteen. And then, and then the surface buttons. That's right. Which are what four? Yeah. And you have to use all these in a game. So, you you can. I mean, wow. that's the yeah, thing. It depends I mean, on the game. And right. Yeah. Sure. Well, I guess that's kind of the nice thing about, you know, this controller and having, you know, all of the, I think it said 19 switch right. ports on the back and all the buttons are mappable. That's right. You know, it would really give or really level that playing field for somebody who needs access to that. Because yeah. I, I can't imagine <laughs> if you were to put an Xbox controller in my hands, I'd be like, w w what is this? Not only that, there there is another um, accessibility service that I didn't even realize existed on the Xbox, which is called the Copilot. And essentially, what it what it's able to do is, the adaptive controller is able to pair with a a regular controller, so that you could have somebody operating one set of buttons on one controller right. and another set of buttons on the other controller. And so you could you could have you'd be gaming with somebody, and you know one person could be driving, and then the other person could be just like shooting, shooting or, or whatever. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, this thing, you know, has has, you know, huge potential and is really going to open up uh, gaming for for a real underserved population. So hats off to Microsoft. This was this is an amazing move. Um, and shame on the other console makers, to be honest, for not having developed something like this as well. Um, and hopefully going forward, hopefully, you know, Sony and Nintendo uh, take a look at, at this and go, okay, damn, well, we need, we need something like this. Yeah. Um, because they, they do, they, they mm -hmm. absolutely do. And, um, you know, again, from a, from, you know, to, to go at this in a, in a business way, I know that, that the numbers historically have been the, the PlayStation, the Sony PlayStation has sold mm -hmm. more units uh, than the, than the Xbox, hopefully you know this sees a real bump in in um, Xbox consoles that are bought. Because I, I'm sorry if I was if I was a disabled uh, gamer or somebody who was, was interested in gaming, it'd be a no brainer. Or if you yeah. were into gaming and ended up you know, God forbid, in an accident and you know becoming you know mobility impaired or physically impaired in some way, shape, or form. This still allows you to get back into that passion you had, right? So, and you know, it's very much. I see this very much like the conversation actually that we'll, we'll be having later uh, about audio description. In the sense that you know, movies and video games are no longer sort of a a little niche market that oh, you know, only you know, young young boys play video games, or right. only you know, this segment of of people watch you know say comic book movies or something all of that stuff all of this is especially if you're you're younger it's it permeates the culture you you just you need to to be involved in that to be a part of the conversation of pop culture and so gaming gaming is an important aspect um for for everybody to be able to to participate in so so, sounds like a little bit like you're trying to rationalize the amount of gaming you do. I, I, I don't call it gaming. I call it research into pop culture. <laughs> as, as <laughs> sure, let's go with that. I have to know what's going on in Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> well, that's actually important. that's a dated reference. I shouldn't I didn't even say that. That's like an old that's like an old game now. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, once again, Microsoft knocking it out of the park accessibility wise. Um, you know, this is, this was a huge news. Um, and, uh, yeah, you get the, uh, you get the AT banter award, you get the AT banter award that, uh, of what, what's the award called? We're going to come up on. Hmm. Hey, you know what else, uh, I noticed, uh, on global accessibility awareness day. What's that? CNAB made a, a big announcement. Did you guys see that? Yeah, they're, uh, partnering with the uh, IRA service uh, to uh, launch it in Canada, which is very cool. Uh, they also uh, were talking a little bit about uh, BlindSquare, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the the beacon and navigation system, and also uh, Key to Access, which is uh, uh, a um, Canadian startup that's making uh, intersections more accessible uh, through a uh, iOS or Android app. Now, uh, I don't know about you guys, but the, 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 the press release itself was a little vague in terms of I'm not real sure what a partnership means. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that, I mean, CNIB and, and IRA have sort of been real close to be like from the get go. I mean, I know that they, there was a lot of demos of, of the technology um, that they were doing out of the CNIB is even early on. So I suspect that this is maybe just, you know, making making it official. But I don't know. What do you what do you think this means? Is this this kind of mean that they'll be using it within their their uh, the services that they they offer or because I don't think they're going to be necessarily resellers of this stuff. Uh, I don't think they'll be resellers. Yeah. The take I got from it is that maybe they are going to be resellers or they'll be, you know, signing people up for it. And maybe get a bit of a... Yeah. They might yeah. be signing up people, but I don't see them selling the glasses. That's all still going to come from Ira. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think would have to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that because all that... I mean, because those glasses are uh, proprietary, right? Those aren't just off-the-shelf smart glasses. Those are proprietary glasses that they sell as part of the subscription service. That's the, if I remember correctly, I mean, when we talked to, yeah, we talked to Eric Manser um, about that. So, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, I know that a lot of people are are, are pretty excited about the about uh, Ira in particular. Um, CNB may be incorporating it into as part of their O and M training. You think you so? Know? Maybe. I, I don't know what else they're going to do. Well, we you know, Ira has their agents, right, that are specially trained. I don't see CNIB doing any of that agent-assisted stuff. Um, you mm -hmm. know, they're not a cell phone provider, so they're not going to be providing the data plans. So unless it's some sort of O&M, I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens because the announcement, like you say, was pretty vague. Uh, BlindSquare. Ryan, have you, have you used BlindSquare before? No. Never. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. That's not Beacon technology, isn't it? I think that's. It does that tie into it's, Beacon. It's got a Beacon component as well as a yeah. GPS component to it. Uh, it's all within one app. Right. And key to access is, like you said, it's an app that uh, will connect to to different smart um, enabled smart enabled signals. crossings. So these this is specific technology. <laughs> this these are have to be specific uh, intersection crossings that tie into the phone so that that people who maybe have trouble uh, finding the button or reaching the button are, are able to sort of to to click the the walk button with that with through their phone as opposed to fumbling around on the pole exactly 
so that's cool. I, I think that's a that's a pretty cool tech. But you know, the downside to that is that you know you got you got to kind of have to wait for the technology to catch up to the city because the cities are the one that sort of will put this. Yeah, and they've got to be willing to fund it too, right? They've got to be willing mm-hmm. to install this in all their uh, various intersections. So it could be could be a ways before we see it fully implemented. Right. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll sort of see what this all means um, for uh, CNIB. Ryan, do you have you heard anything about about um, the product launch of Ira in Canada? No, not a thing. I, I know. I've heard rumors and rumblings that people have tested it and are trying it, but I don't know, you know, what providers, what like what mobile providers are buying into it. You know, I don't know how that's going at all. So, uh, some I think there's some good money for them to be made there. It ain't cheap. The, the Ira, yeah, I mean, uh, and it's certainly getting a lot of a lot of play. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Ira, CNN I think they did a story I think on it a yeah. week or two ago. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, Ryan, you're probably a better person to ask, but uh, I don't know. what What's your feeling about, about the system? Well, I think as an assistant, you know, it, it definitely would give you a little bit more confidence. You know, you're still going to have to have, you know, O&M training skills. You're still going to have to know kind of where, where you're going and how to get from point A to point B. But, you know, if you're walking down the street and you think, okay, well, maybe sport check is here on my right somewhere. You could dial up the the IRA agent, and she's you know he or she could say, okay, walk five more feet in front of you, turn right, the door's right there. You know they're going to get you that last you know five, ten, fifteen feet to where you want to go. If you're in a grocery store and you're looking for a specific aisle, you know they'll be able to guide you there as well. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot of things people are going to find uses for this for um, switching inputs on your TV screen. You know, sure. that, that's not accessible. So do I know if I'm on HDMI 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, you know, things around the house? Um, I think there's a lot of uses. But my concern for you know, me personally, and it's not an issue for others, it's just the, the price. You know, I think the glasses are, you know, subsidized to a certain extent or they have a payment plan. But I don't know about you guys, but our data plans in Canada suck and that's aren't true. cheap that's that's very aren't true. cheap we don't have unlimited data plans here and if we do you know i don't think they, they're cheap. i don't i don't think you we know? do I don't, so I don't. it's not like the u.s where you're going to get you know a, an unlimited data plan for 40 bucks a month so it's going to be interesting to see how it all rolls out and what the prices are because i think for was it 80 minutes or 100 minutes right now in the states it's was it 80 dollars a month or something Right. I forget what the plans are. We'd have to look. But. So it's you're right. But I mean, <laughs> but you bring up a good point. I mean, I don't I don't think it's it is just for you. I'm I'm sure that there's a, a lot of people in the blind community and the visually impaired community. On a fixed community income as well. That you know? well, or even somebody who's not necessarily on a fixed income, but even just, you know, it's expensive. I mean, cell mm-hmm. phones are expensive in and of itself. I cringe every time I I try to pay my phone bill. I can't I can't you know, even think about, you know, putting $80 on top of that and then having to buy a pair of smart glasses on top of that. So, I mean, certainly cost can can play a factor. I think that brings up an issue, though, too, because that just you know came to my head as well, is that you don't necessarily have to have the glasses. I think you can hold your phone up as well, and an agent can use the camera on your phone. To, you know, so there, oh, you can use true. the IRA that's app. True. I, I, yeah, that's true. Right. So you don't have to have the glasses, per se, but again, you know, what's that going to do to your battery life if you're dialing into an agent? 
Well, and I think the the long and the short of it is, uh, I think at the end of the day is just, it's going to depend on what your your particular needs are on a daily basis, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of potential. I think it's great to have a tool like that because it does give you that little extra, you know, security, comfort, assistance that you may need. We don't always have somebody around us to lend us their eyes, so. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, 80 bucks a month might be a small price to pay for somebody uh, yep. that wants that sort of that safety net or that you know, that needs, you know, that that little input uh, on a daily basis. Right. Sure. So. So anyways, time will tell. Uh, we'll see what uh, CNAB has in store and uh, it'll be interesting to see going forward. Yeah. So very successful Global Accessibility Awareness Day. I was glad to see our Twitter feed was lit up with with hashtags of GAAD and a lot of people were talking about it. A lot of announcements were made. So uh, it was good Jaws, stuff. Or as Jaws said, God. God. Yeah, it was God day. All right. Uh, I think that's everything I have for news. So Ryan. Yes, sir. You want to, let's, let's go ahead and uh, let's bring Colleen on. All right, let's do it. Hi, Colleen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's awesome. I'm excited. Excellent. Oh, don't be. You're... <laughs> Have you heard our podcast? <laughs> it seems like fun. I don't see. I do most of my stuff alone. So it's always fun. Like get together with people virtually or physically. Yeah, that would be, actually, that would be really challenging doing a podcast just solo. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing it actually. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I deal a lot with people over email and things like that, but it is as far as getting subject matter. Um, but it is way more fun when you kind of have a conversation going or um, it's less, I think, less presentational. You end up sounding a little bit. Sometimes I get a little, I don't know, TED talky. Does sure. that make sense? Like it's almost like I feel like I'm doing a presentation sometimes versus just a informative conversation. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit easier to uh, to fall into like sort of a conversational sort of groove when you're when you have other people there. But also, it, it helps take the pressure off you know one person. So because then if I if I have a brain fart, then these guys can just stare at me and that's right we can but we don't (laughs) (laughs) we just wait for rob just let me hang we just just let him keep talking (laughs) and we snicker yep uh what else ryan what am i forgetting Mm, i think anything you say can and will be held against you yeah we encourage swearing yep no, I wouldn't say we encourage it because I'm the one that has to edit it and bleep it. But, but feel free to if, be yourself. If, I was gonna say if, you, if it's no fun if you have to sit there and bleep it though. So. That's kind of fun. <laughs> we had we, we 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 had our uh, our our anniversary show. Or it was our second year anniversary show last week, and uh, we had we we recorded the show and we had some drinks as well. As we do with our anniversary shows, and so we're, there was it was it was kind of fast and loose. There was a lot of bleeps last last episode. In fact, so many that I missed one. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, in the edit before I uploaded the uh, podcast. So, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah I missed one. Rick Rick was t- t- telling us his monkey story, and I guess I wasn't listening well enough, and he <laughs> he missed an f bomb. Yeah. Well, oh Jesus! But we haven't got any hate mail for it. So. Yeah. 
So why don't we start with, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, who the heck Colleen Connor is, and tell us a little bit about uh, your, your own visual impairment. Cool. So my name is Colleen Connor. Um, I am currently 29. I will be 30 soon. Oh, it's all and, over. Um, I live in the Virginia area of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm an East Coast from this area, and I'm still currently there. Um, and as far as my eye disease, I have what they call cone rod dystrophy, which is um, one of those special rare retina gambit <laughs> things. Um, so it's uh, basically my macula is atrophied and um, my, my vision deteriorates over time. So similar to macular degeneration and, um, you know, retinitis pigmentosa, yeah. some of the more recognizable things, um, cone rod dystrophy is often not something that a lot of people recognize in the name, but the symptoms tend to be similar. Okay. Um, obviously, all of us, any of us could have the same diagnosis and our symptoms might be different. Um, but my, um, I used to be fairly what you would probably consider sighted. Um, and then I started losing my vision significantly when I was about 14 in high school. Um, that's when I started, you know, running into things and not being able to see the board. And, um, my central vision was really affected. Um, but it's hard because you don't really have the verbs or the, you know, language to describe what you're going through because you, you don't think to tell people, oh, I'm blind. Right. Because... In our, in our minds, the concept of blindness is like, oh, take your eyeballs out and now you can't see anything. Um, so if you're in this weird visually impaired limbo, it's really hard to explain to people um, what your needs might be or how your vision changes day to day or over the course of several years. So my, my vision now at this point is I have very little usable vision. Um, the vision that I do have is my peripheral. Um, my central vision is pretty much gone at this point. Um, my color, my depth perception is off. Um, and I have static across everything. So it's almost like, um, the kind of snow effect on an old television or something like that. It's kind of this constantly moving static that causes my vision to be very disorienting on top of, um, not really reliable. So it's, um, it changes over time. It sometimes it causes headaches. Sometimes it doesn't. But I am very photosensitive or sensitive to light. Right. So rather than my vision being dark, it's kind of almost like white out. So like if there's lights, if there's a lot of light, I can't see anything. Whereas if there's a little bit of light, I still have some contrast vision. So if there's something black on white or white on black, I can kind of pick it out on the side of my vision versus any kind of detail though is, is out the window. So, and it changes as I, as I get older, my vision is leaving me. So, and you know, nobody can tell you kind of how that's going to go. So it just depends on the particular individual and I guess the grab bag of genetics that I got. So right. I've always that's, found that's my vision in a nutshell. I've always found it interesting too. You know, I'm totally blind. I was in a car accident, lost my sight. And I've often thought if I had some vision, 
if that would just drive me squirrely and frustrate the heck out of me. You know, is it better to be visually impaired and have some functional vision or not even functional vision, just little glimmers of light here and there or, you know, just be in the dark? I think what's what I find interesting is that most people that I know who have never seen or similar to yourself had some kind of accident that caused complete um, unusable vision um, is that they would never want to be visually impaired. Um, they would never want to slowly over time just lose their vision. Um, and I think there's more of an, um, I, I don't want to say, like, I'm not belittling anyone, but I think that there is more of an emotional and grief challenge to it. Um, I feel like when you lose your vision completely, you have a grieving process and you relearn how to do things and then you you adapt as technology adapts and, and you live your life. Um, when your vision leaves you slowly over time, you end up judging your life by, okay, I got to use larger print. Okay, now larger print. Okay, now I need high contrast. Okay, now I need a CCTV and I got to blow things up on a screen. Okay, now I need a cane. Okay, now I need, and it becomes, you judge your life from the perspective of what you can't do anymore. Hmm. Um, I found for a long time it affected my depression greatly because it wasn't necessarily that I was depressed because I was losing my sight. It's that I have depression and then my sight would be the last straw in a situation. So I would be upset about something and then all of a sudden I would be like, and I can't read anything or, you know, draw anymore or, you know, it just become the last draw of like, I can't drive, I can't leave when I want to, but I can kind of see, you know, and so it's, it's also frustrating when you try and explain it to people because you can't, you end up learning over time to just say, yep, blind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In passing, in passing with people, you end up going, yep, absolutely blind. Close your eyes. That's what I got. Because it's so much faster than being like, well, yeah. actually, there's only a very small percentage of people are congenitally blind or have never seen ever. Um, the rest of us have light perception or had sight at one time or, you know, are adventitiously blind where you, you know, you lose it over time or you lose it much later in life. So it's, <laughs> I think it's more emotionally draining to have a visual impairment and to keep having to relearn things mm -hmm. over and over rather than having like one and done, or you've only ever done things from being completely blind and that's just how you live your life. Yeah. Your, your take on it is, uh, is very similar to, uh, uh, Molly Burke. Uh, I was just at a conference where she was uh, she was a speaker of it, and she she lost hers. I think it was uh, RP um, over time, and uh, yeah, particularly when you start talking about um, you know trying to explain it to people, it won't. You know, yeah, I can see a little. You know, I've got a tiny little field, um, but you know, it's not enough to travel safely. So she has a guide dog, and you know, she uses a cane. But at the same time, she has people who accuse her of, of faking blindness for, for celebrity, um, as if that's ever worked for anybody. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, yep. it, it is it is difficult to explain. No question, people. My people my celebrity so. blind moment is is quite fantastic. I I tell people because I majored in musical theater, and I've always wanted to be an actor. I've acted and since I was a kid, and I sing and act and dance, and I was a black belt in taekwondo, and wow. um, I did a lot of stuff and I'm very grateful to my family because my parents in particular on the one hand they didn't really acknowledge my visual impairment but on the other hand I wasn't um, treated like this fragile child that you know oh she might lose her sight one day like we'll just make sure she's completely sheltered which I think is a disservice to any child with a disability is when their parents are over yeah. overbearing yeah. Yeah, absolutely um, but I, <laughs> I, I've tried to audition for things, and when people tell you, um, you know, oh, you have a story, and you're just trying to, and I'm like, no, no one will cast me because as soon as they see my cane or my dog, they're like, oh, she's she's blind, and they don't they don't know what to do with you. And frankly, when when you have one disability, people think you have all of the disability. <laughs> and so there's just nothing they see nothing else other than yeah. oh, she's disabled. Yeah. And so you don't get the chance at all to perform. And I remember Here honey, here for, honey, sit in this wheelchair. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> exactly. Like ma'am, miss, sweetie, hi sweetie, you're auditioning. Do you know what you're doing? Hi. Sweetie, we're over. The piano's over here. It's over here. Okay, I got it. Sorry, um, I studied this for four years and have a degree. It's, it's really okay. Um, so it's. It, I auditioned for. Um, I don't know if I can. I think I can say it was America's Got Talent. Okay. Um, but they told me um, basically that blindness wasn't in that year. Oh, jeez. And so it didn't matter that I had performed well. Um, I didn't get on the show. I didn't get any of that because blindness wasn't in that year. Wow. Well, and so. You know, it is every, every people, four years it's blindness you know, year, right? <laughs> it's not the fad this year. So What was it, it Invisible depends. Disabilities Year for, for America's Got Talent or something? I think it was, I think yeah, it was right? CP, it's, I think. It no, we're looking for the cancer story this year. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. There you go. Got it. That's terrible. That's awful. That's true. That <laughs> but sure being competitive and having something, you know, stand out, sometimes people will make a comment like that. Oh, you're faking blindness. But why would I fake this mm -hmm. of all problems? Like of any of the ones I could have picked, why this? Yeah. Also, like, I'm committed then. Like, this is some serious <laughs> method acting. I am committed. I am blind. Or, or it's a disorder of some <laughs> like, kind. Could be a disorder. <laughs> but I mean, that, that. Uh, actually, that's a good segue into talking a little bit about uh, both the podcast and, and I want to talk a little bit about your YouTube channel as well. Um, and one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you, and, and, and I really think that that what you're doing is important, is this notion of, you know, people need to be educated because that's where the problem is, is, is all these misconceptions and... Um, not understanding, like say what the, what the difference between being legally blind and totally blind is and all these things that we were just talking about. And I really see, you, you know, your podcast and, and, you know, your channel, your YouTube channel and channels like it as being a real conduit to, um, you know, the general public to try to educate them on some of this stuff because it's frustrating, right? 
and that's um, ultimately I started um, my podcast. I started kind of tinkering with the idea in 2011, and then I um, I tried to get friends to teach me how to record and use my remaining vision to try to edit and those early days of my little handheld recorder and. Um, you know, I, I said to myself, okay, people tend to think that I can talk pretty well and that I'm not too bad to look at and that I'm funny and, uh, charismatic. Okay. So I'll take these skills. And if I can't, if I can't act, why can't I act? Why can't I get a job? Why will no one hire me for anything, you know, regardless of acting, um, and it was because I have a disability. And so I said, well, I need to tell people about this experience because if I go to a support group near me, I'm also the youngest person there by 30 years. And so it was like, listen, like this is not, this needs to get out there. And so I started just talking. Um, I, you know, turned the recorder on and I said, what interests me? What, what do I think that just from my own personal experience would be important for other people to understand. And I think part of it is just the demystification of people with disabilities that we can have, you know, one disability, more than one disability, um, and still be able to advocate for ourselves or why we're afraid to advocate for ourselves. Um, and just the idea of I am human as well. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the concept of I'm a person first and disability second. So it's the, the, what do I, what is helpful that the you know population, the general population can do? What is hurtful or, you know, just frankly ridiculous? Um, what does technology help us do? What, you know, people still ask the question like, how do you walk? How do you eat? <laughs> how do you... <laughs> use a computer how do you and and to us the questions it's just incredible it's amazing like why would you ask me how do i eat like my mouth doesn't migrate around my face <laughs> i've been doing it my whole life i don't know how do you eat what yeah. it, it sounds like a personal problem like i don't <laughs> what yeah and um it's just the concept of exposing that i think in general people mean well but they don't know what to do and so you either get angry or afraid of things that you don't know what to do with, or you attempt to help, but you have no tools or sense of how to do that. Right. And so if you want to exist alongside someone who's visually impaired, I started to think of subjects like, okay, well, what? let's talk about how I get around. Let's talk about how I use a computer. Right. Let's talk about how I put on makeup if I do at all, or you know, different skills that we use. What, what's the white cane versus the cane with the red tip? What, why do people wear sunglasses? And I just took like different subjects and I just did podcasts on them. And then as far as my YouTube channel, that kind of grew out of my podcast because there are a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family, you know, for a long time been trying to get me to do stand up comedy. They're like, you should do stand up. You should do stand up. And I'm like, Ah, I'm not quite there yet in comfort zone. So I said, well, let's put a camera up and see if I can do something like one of my episodes, but kind of do it as a, as a talk or a video. And, um, 
that seemed to go really well. And people enjoyed the demonstrations and, um, you know, the sighted people especially got the most interested when I started doing my seeing eye dog vlog. And so I documented my journey from applying all the way through bringing her home, um, my very first um, guide dog from the seeing eye. And so that is kind of another mystery process for people. And so I've been focusing more recently on, you know, what it, what guide dog etiquette is and how you get it and what the dogs can and cannot do. You know, for instance, people have asked me, can they read? No, no, they cannot. (laughs) Um, If they could, I think you would have heard of it by now. (laughs) Um, So it's just kind of this blind etiquette. And um, I'm just so passionate about trying to make human connection and self-advocate because there's so much misunderstanding and so much frustration with not being able to express yourself in a way that is in passing. You know, there's not an easy explanation, an elevator speech for you're walking down the street and someone wants to like interrogate you about being a blind person. And it's like, no, go here, go listen to my talk on this. Like, I don't have time to educate you, but I want to educate you. So I started recording things and I just, you know, I take suggestions. I try and do like what we're doing, interviews, like if I hear from other people or I myself contact other people and say, hey, let's do a collaborative thing because you're trying to get out there and I'm trying to get out there. And it's just, it's important. Um, And there are some people who don't have the means to express themselves in, in a loquacious way. And so it's, difficult to kind of get to everybody and you know certainly I'm no YouTuber or something (laughs) and I'm not like one of the super downloaded podcasts but I have gotten emails from people all over the world of just thank you because I realized listening to your podcast that I'm not alone and um, it's just cool to hear that when we can connect with each other whether you're visually impaired or sighted that you've learned something from the random ramblings of me and my microphone in my bedroom (laughs) now well let me ask you this then Uh, like has has it had a real effect on you like does is it does it help you in terms of you know helping you vent or help you you know put put some emotions out there that you happen to be feeling on that particular day like has it been rewarding to you on a personal level I think it has. When I, I think the biggest part is the fact that I'm able to say, I did that. Like, and I know that if I leave this world and I have helped one person, I have succeeded. And, you know, with, um, you know, I have depression and anxiety on top of being visually impaired and, you know, mood mood disorder type issues that I inherited on top of the fantastic genetic grab bag that I have um, (laughs) that has nothing to do with being blind, but exacerbates the issue. And I think that it's hard sometimes to motivate yourself to do anything. And it's scary and it sucks. And then you have to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And if all I get done today is a podcast on depression, then 
people can hear about that and relate to it. And I feel better for being able to have talked about it and maybe I can help somebody. And the same goes when I'm having a good day and I do a bunch of filming at an aquarium with my dog and, you know, ask random people questions. And um, so it's, I enjoy the aspect of it when I'm, when I'm feeling at my best, because then I feel like I can make a great um, episode and it's maybe funny or people relate to it and they can see all the visuals or, you know, sometimes you're sitting alone in your room and all you can do is grab your microphone and just record and then edit it a little bit, but post it and just be like, Hey, you know, depression, anxiety sucks. (laughs) And it's, um, I, I want to be honest in my content. And I think that sometimes it's abrasive or it's kind of hard for people. Um, you know, my family will sometimes be like, that's, you know, I'm really surprised you put that out there. It's very personal. And I'm like, well, you know, a life's too short. I I think that people can relate to honest, real content. And so I think for me, that's kind of almost the therapeutic aspect of doing, of doing my podcast and being able to talk to other podcast hosts or other YouTubers or people that, um, you know, comment on my videos. I, I want to make sure that I, that I reply back to the comments and that, you know, if I can't reply in that moment, just saying, Hey, I'm really swamped, but I'll get to your question or comment. And it, I like that connection, you know, that's not, that's real. It's to me, it's real. It's a, people were touched by what I said or related to it or had a family member and, and I'm able to reach out and for myself have kind of catharsis with a particular event or emotion as well as, you know, someone else relating to me over the vast expanse of digital, whatever. Yeah, I mean, and and like I said, um, you know, I, I think it is incredibly valuable on a, on a bunch of different levels because it also does, you know, send the message that, you know, to other people who are in similar situations that, you know, this is something that you can do as well. We we have to educate and and we have to get, you know, the presence felt and and build some some connections out there. Yeah, the more of us that are out there spreading the word, the the better it is, you know. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about that actually on the podcast the last few weeks of just about, um, you know, why it is that there are so many, you know, misconceptions and stuff. And I, I mean, I think that one thing for sure is that, you know, as of not long ago, um, in, in the school systems, uh, a lot of the, um, you know, kids with, with any sort of physical challenges or phys- physical impairments, um, we're, we're segregated in ways you know, that can yeah, be problematic. It's, it's sad to me. Like even, um, you know, I was not in school that long ago and even looking back in the past 10, um, 20 years, it's, there's nothing in health class about learning about, um, how to interact with people with disabilities of any kind. Right. Um, I was the only blind girl who started using a cane in an 800 person high school. I was, you know, as soon as I, my junior year, 
I came out with the fact that I need to use a cane and I need accommodations. And it took almost the whole year to get the process of, okay, who do we go see? Okay, I have a rehab counselor. Now I have an IEP, the individual education plan where the teachers read this document and anything they hand to me, the assignments or whatever, these are the accommodations they have to follow in order for me to get the same education as other people. So the problem I had was that, you know, I was in AP classes and I was applying to universities, but I walked into the classroom that it told me to go to and, you know, again, not belittling anyone, but I was in a room full of, you know, four people who had autism and two people who had Down syndrome. And I went up to the, you know, one of the aides and I said, hi, I'm sorry. I was like, I'm supposed to be in AP English, um, but it told me to come here and I'm not quite certain. And they're like, oh, well, you're you're disabled. Yeah. And I was like, and it's just even the special ed teachers, like they, you know, I think there's more awareness now that there's more technology and globalization happening in general. Yeah. I just remember growing up and being like, am I just going to be put in a completely different category? Yeah. And I, and you don't think about it, but then the amount of people that I interact with who are like, wow, I've never seen, I've never seen one in, in just walking around before. And I'm yeah. like, I'm sorry. And they're like a blind person. Like I've never seen one. And, and I'm like, what? Like you've never seen us in the wild. I'm like, ah, 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 ah. like what are you? <laughs> People are like, I've never seen one before. Uh, and I'm like, what? Like who says that? Yeah. We've and then the idea that this would change your identity entirely, you know? Yeah. It just, people don't, there's no education on a formal level at all. And so unless you have a personal experience or a family member, you have no clue what to do yeah. when someone has a disability. People have no idea. It's true. And if they make any kind of assumptions, they're normally wrong. So. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully that's changing now. I, um, you know, there's I know I know here in Canada it's gotten a lot better. Well, well, okay. Sorry, yeah. should I not say a lot. Should I say somewhat better, Steve? I don't know. You have a better. You have a better. I don't know. I still, I still hear daily. Well, maybe not daily, but weekly stories of people being accosted by, by, by people. You know, they're just walking along with their guide dog or their cane, and somebody just decides they're gonna, uh, they're gonna help them. So they come up and grab them and start drag them across the street. Or... <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how much better it's getting. Well, there, no, sorry. There's, some, there's I, certainly some awareness happening. I, I meant, but, uh, sorry, I meant, I meant inclusion in the schools. Oh, inclusion like, in the schools. Oh, okay. Because well, yeah, really, this is something that has to be built from the ground up. Like we're not, we're screwed. Yeah. We're not going to see any change. But I mean, the next generation, hopefully it won't be as bad because, you know, I, I see it as, you know, if kids are growing up and, and going to school with, with uh, other kids and disabilities and interacting with them on a daily basis, a lot of these misconceptions I, I feel like will kind of dry up and yep. it'll be a little bit better, you know, going forward. But our generation is screwed. We, we screwed that up and yeah. the planet. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, our, our, <laughs> yeah. Our generation is just pretty stupid. <laughs> I think also at least in the States, one of the things that's that's really annoying and challenging is like with health insurance or benefits of any kind, sometimes there's still people who you have somebody who's visually impaired, but we can't afford to get 
help or government services take so long that you end up, like I did, a couple years of school where you, you're not getting what you need. And it's not that the capacity, the intellect isn't there. It's just that you can't see. And it's, and it's a barrier that is huge. Um, something like, you know, hearing or sight or speaking are the ways that we communicate. And if you can't see and no one can teach you, you know, one-on-one -on -one or something, you, there's no way to get the information to you in a public school setting. There just isn't. Um, because you, and you just fall behind and it's not that you're getting bad grades because you can't, you physically cannot do it. <laughs> but I think that a lot of it has to do with, like you said, education changing over time. I was very hopeful recently because my, one of my nephews is seven years old and he's in first grade and they read a book in class and it was, this kid had a blind friend and the whole book was basically things that you could do with your blind friend. And so it was like, we could still play tug of war. We could still do this. And it was just things you could still do. And James was telling me, that's my nephew. He was telling me, I didn't understand. Like, I didn't get it. Like, blind. Like, I didn't get it. And he's like, and then at the end of the book, the kid has a stick like you have, Auntie Colleen. And I realized, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just very cute that I realized that at least this particular classroom, like, the teacher has, you know, examples of different disabilities and is even in first grade, being like just exposing them to this is what blind is, this is what deaf is, this is what, you know, and that you can still interact with them and be friends with them. And, you know, so it's, I think there, hopefully there will be less of the, I went to blind school right. <laughs> and maybe we can all just go to school <laughs> because, yeah, you end up living, there are several people I know who just, ended up at a disservice because they also, you know, they'd only ever been around other blind people. And so, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum yep. is that you, you end up not having the social skills or the right. appearance uh, or the, you know, you're at a disadvantage in other ways because you weren't around, you know, able-bodied people. It, yeah. <laughs> so, there's, 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 you know, learning going on in both directions for sure. When, you know, so it's it is it's important inclusion is so important so it's it's nice to to know that it's it's a it's sort of a growing trend right now it's yeah there's a couple of um there's a couple of provinces that have some pretty good uh programs um uh that are a, a little bit different than than the norm um you know previously in Canada we did have residential schools for for blind people um and uh well that that didn't work out well because uh, there, there was also all kinds of abuse at those at some of those schools, but uh, but now yeah. what a couple of provinces have done is they have these these facilities, these residential facilities, and they bring the kids in, and they just train the hell out of them. They teach them life skills. They teach them you know screen reader usage, uh, you know te technology, and all the orientation and mobility skills, and then they ship them home back to their back to their main school. Um, and I think that's a really good way of doing it because one, you, you develop a social circle with, with other, um, you know, visually impaired, uh, peers. Um, 
two, you get your skills, but then, you know, you're back to mainstreaming again. Right. Yeah. And I think that the hardest thing about that and and this, the reason so much of education is slowed down is back to the practicality of funding and teachers mm-hmm. and, yeah. and programs that, you know, that's such an amazing idea. And why doesn't it happen more often? Because people have to lobby the crap out of it and <laughs> they have to make this ridiculous argument that this is a good idea and that people have potential and that, you know, um, just even parents of blind children, if, you know, if they don't, if they're not familiar, they, they don't know what to do. You know, my parents didn't know what to do. Right. It, it's not like they had a long history of visual impairment in the family. It's so it was like, well, where do we go for help? Where do we go for resources? And sometimes there isn't any. And other times, like, you might have this great program, but maybe there's no teachers. And something that, at least in in my area, that really bothers me, and I have nothing against any anyone of any kind of religious organization or volunteer organization, but I think the fact that when people hear disabilities, they'll go, oh, you're doing like audio description or, oh, you're doing a quote unquote, a service for disabled children or disabled learning. Okay. Well, that's volunteer Mm. or like the church does that. Right. And it's like, why, why? (laughs) Like it's, you should pay people to do a job, you know? And, and the fact that, um, people with disabilities are sometimes delegated to this area of, oh, it's a service yeah. to help us instead of it being a necessity. It's a service yeah, or people's like, this is what we need. And people are like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you had this? And it's like, no, no, we need it. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> this a, is a necessity, not like a accommodation. <laughs> It's an access need. It's not a, oh, we'll just sit outside, you know, and not hear the production or, you know, people who do audio description. Oh, we won't, we won't pay them, even though it's just as viable as sign language interpretation, if not harder. Right. We'll just, you know, you should volunteer your time for that. Well, and like, no. Yeah, and and I and I'm I'm biting at the bit to talk because I I really want to talk to you about audio description as well. But uh, you know, it brings up an interesting point that we always say is that you know, look at closed captioning. Closed captioning has been a requirement, and you know, for for years and years. And audio description should be up right up there with that. I mean, everything should be audio described. Yeah, and it's what I find interesting is as I've done research and got further and further into the audio description field, what I've noticed is that, and I was, I'm from um, Northern Virginia, which is very near Washington, D.C. I went to college in Washington, D.C., and I worked in D.C. at the International Spy Museum, as well as a few other places in D.C. itself. So I was right near the agencies and the lobbyists and the craziness that is national news. And um, I started to realize that, hey, why 
why is the deaf community so united and the blind community isn't? Hmm. Because I realize they have such a strong singular voice and such a strong advocacy for themselves. And it seems to me that there then was all these, with visual impairment, it's all these different state agencies or province agencies or all these different um, you know, national organizations. There's like the National Federation for the Blind, the American Council of the Blind, the American Foundation for the Blind, the American Federation for the Blind. And they're all, quote unquote, national, but they don't work together. Mm. And so, you know, I started to realize that the deaf community has this really united, close-knit community. And I think that visual impairment is just such a vast experience you know, from people who are completely blind to people who lose their sight as they get older to kids and education. And there's so many aspects of visual impairment that we just didn't get that united voice. Right. There's, you know, the ADA, at least in the States, that the 90s is really when they started saying things like, okay, wheelchair ramps and Braille, let's right. go. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. But... You know, audio description didn't take off until very recently. It's very recent. I mean, the 21st Century Communications Act was 2010. (laughs) And, you know, you're just supposed to increase audio description over time Mm -hmm. in some random, like, there's no certification for it. Not in this country, anyway. Um, they're just now starting to develop it, and I'm one of the people who beat down the door on it. So, but I think you bring up a, a really interesting point because about about sort of the non united front. Um, well, we're, and we're in the same in Canada. We've got the CNIB, the CFB, the CCB. You know, like yep. we're just as fragmented. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you talk about these these groups how they don't work together half half the time. The groups themselves are in the middle of schisms <laughs> internally. <laughs> you know, they're they're not even necessarily working together inside their own organizations. Right. So, lots of politics right. in the blindness community is just crazy. I think the other weird thing is that as I've become more of an advocate in the community and and with audio description in particular, um, I I was amazed at the politics. Because I'm someone who, I'm really straightforward. I'm very honest. I'm very straightforward. And I am one of those kind of a Spock type situation. I'm like the good of the many. (laughs) Um, So I don't really have an agenda to be, I don't feel like I need to be Colleen Connor, the face of the visually impaired and blind. Like I, I, I don't need to be like famous, but I think that if I'm able to help and, you know, quality control and get visually impaired people involved in, you know, the career of audio description and having audio description be well done and professional and paid for and, you know, but I, I started to realize that even within audio description, it was like, well, that's not how we do it in North Carolina. And I was like, what? Like, why don't you... Why aren't we just trying to get audio description everywhere all the time? Yeah. Like people have this weird agenda of like their own to be like, well, we don't really do outreach anymore because we just do, you know, we, we like to do audio description this way. And I'm like, 
I don't, I would just be telling everyone possible about audio description. I don't really, it's not like I need people to come to my program. I'm just like, you should know about audio description. And, you know, there are rehab counselors in this area. I, I majored in musical theater in Washington, D.C., one of the founding places of audio description, and I didn't know it existed. <sighs> I am visually impaired. It was my major. I was in the city. I studied. I didn't know it existed until I studied in London. <sighs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> And it's just this weird political thing. People, yeah. I I had this weird, naive view that, you know, when I grew up, I was like, oh, it'll be so great when I grow up, everyone will have graduated from high school. And we won't have this petty bullshit anymore. <laughs> and then I and then I got older and older, and I, I was sitting here going, when is it going to happen? When is it? <laughs> oh, God, they never graduate from high school. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, these people just have... This weird, you know, own agenda instead of just wanting to make sure audio descriptions available, mm -hmm. they want to make sure that they're the ones doing it. And if it's not their way, then it's wrong and whatever. It, it is really weird because, you know, that the, the technology is in place, like everything is in place. There's no reason why audio description can't be way more widespread than it is. I mean, a good example is, you know, a lot of the movie theaters here, uh, you know, have, um, you know, audio, audio descriptive um, uh, theaters that are, that are equipped with, with uh, all the equipment. Um, nine times out of 10, from what we hear, people go to it and the equipment doesn't work or the staff doesn't know anything about it or they can't. Yeah, it hasn't been maintained or charged. Well, you got to do your homework. It's a specific showing on a certain day. You know, you can't just walk in on a Friday night at 8 o'clock and say, I want to see this movie. Oh, well, that one's not described. you got to come Saturday at 2. You know, so it's really frustrating. Yep. It's, it's exceedingly frustrating. And, you know, I understand the logistics of that for live theater or opera or dance. Sure, sure. If somebody tells me that they have the describers coming only at this matinee, sure. is that inconvenient? Absolutely. But do I get the logistics of it? Yes. Of course. But when you have the equipment in a movie theater and I, you advertise that the equipment is there and available and I come to the desk and ask, it's like you said, no one has any idea what you're talking about. Right. They hand you the closed captioning thing. <laughs> um, you're, you're going, nope, just said I'm visually impaired. I need the, it's headphones. And it's someone describing what's going on visually while the while the movie is happening. Oh, okay. So this makes it really loud. You put it on your ears and it's really <laughs> nope. Again. It's right. Right. I need the receiver with it's gonna tell me what's going on. It's called audio description. It's also called video description or descriptive video or descriptive video services or English video <laughs> translation or descriptive audio. And that's another problem. Yeah. Is there sixty names? That's true for the same thing. Or you could really save and, money and they can just seat you be, uh, in front of a bunch of 14-year-old girls who just talk through the entire movie anyway. So they'll describe what's on the screen for you. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating that yeah. this service is there and it's available. Or, like you said, with the movie theater, maybe they downloaded the wrong digital copy. So sure. sometimes they'll be like, oh, the equipment doesn't work. The equipment doesn't work. And what really happens is their equipment would work okay, 
But when the movie theater bought the download, because they don't do reel-to-reel anymore, people. Mm, right. They're not loading the film reel up and rolling it. <laughs> yeah, I miss those days. You know, when they <laughs> digitally download, they don't download the right copy that has the accommodations on it. Right. So there's, there's a specific you know, copy that you download, whether it's point FJ five, you know, or whatever, but you have to download the one that actually has the description available. And then it depends on the type of equipment you have, you know, whether it's all staticky because you're sitting in a bad part of the theater, but no one knows to tell you that. Right. The staff barely knows what you're even talking about. So it's, it is just, and that's why some people are focused now on um, creating apps. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And they'll skip the equipment altogether. Yeah. And just you bring your own phone and your own headphones. Yep. But it's an invisible service again. Yet again, you have closed captioning. Okay, people can see yeah. it. A sign language interpreter. Okay, people can see it. They know what that is. When you say audio description, you have headphones in the audience. It's an invisible art. It's an invisible service. Yeah. yeah. And so people aren't. You again, as someone who's blind or visually impaired, have to explain yourself again. And it's, and then you, you have days where you don't want to explain it anymore. (laughs) You're just like, not today, not today. I'm just going to turn around and leave and get some chocolate and go home because I can't. That's right. I'll wait for it. Now, now being in the field, have you noticed that, um, like say Netflix has gotten better uh, with the with the amount of content that they that they've paired with audio description, or is it is it pretty much plateaued at this point? Um, I would say that when lawsuits happen, things get better. People love litigation. And so, un- unfortunately, it does come from a place of you know when something like Netflix is sued, and they're they then are bumped into gear. And I would say they continue to improve. Netflix, um, you know, they are trying to offer, even in, um, you know, some of the foreign films that they're bringing in and foreign um, Netflix shows, they try to do audio description both in that language and in English. Um, And I think that they're doing things that show progress. I think in general, Marvel does a really great job. They were one of the first mm-hmm. um, studios to really be passionate about, okay, you know, audio description, like let's make sure our stuff is accessible. Right. Um, and that's mm-hmm. continued to move forward. Disney is terrifying and has, I think, taken over the world, but they also <laughs> do uh, seem to have improved with audio description. But what I've noticed more recently that I find interesting is I hear a lot of British voices doing Mm. audio description. And I think that what's happening is that they're going to the British companies because in the UK, they have a certification for audio description. And actually, they have three different paths you can go. And so they have these professional certified people that can crank it out post-production a lot better than, you know, somebody who, you know, is one of my students, for example. She is a very, very good voice artist from New York, 
and she did the audio description for the movie Arrival that came out. Um, and she said, I had no clue what audio description was. She goes, I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Two of my friends were the writers on the film, and they wrote a script that they thought might be okay. And she goes, I walked into the studio, spent a day sitting in the booth and recording it, and then they just put it on the track. She goes, I didn't even know it was for blind people. I didn't <laughs> even know what I was doing. She was like, I just didn't know. Wow. And so she was like, then I became fascinated by it. And I looked it up and said, wait a second, I want to do this. Yeah. And so she, she came to our training and she plans to continue through our course. But it was just fascinating that there are, um, you know, and I'm making a generalization, but there are several Americans that I know who um, are like, we use people from the UK or that just were voice artists and were like, I had no clue what I was doing. I just did it. It was just a job. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, I definitely think that's the case because I was reading just the other day about um, there's there's the audio description for the Black Panther movie um, is getting a bit of pushback. Um, it was released, and I guess part of the problem ha- of it is that a, a lot of, I guess, you know, African-American blind people who are watching this have a bit of a problem with it because you know, just the, the themes and the nature of the movie. And then the guy that's doing the audio description is clearly this, this um, white British guy kind of throws the whole, the whole experience a little bit out of whack when he's describing Wakanda in like this, you know, very prim and proper British accent when he should yeah, be clearly doing I a think... Doctor Who episode or something. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's very... It can be very jarring. I remember as someone who's a huge, like, Marvel and superhero comic book person, I, I, you know, I was really excited for the second Captain America movie because it had, it had done so well. Um, Captain America Winter Soldier did such a great job. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with or enjoy the Marvel films. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. They... You're talking to the right people. We got the Star yeah. Trek episode or the Star Trek <laughs> reference, and we appreciated it. Yeah, that that elevator scene—that's so good. Hooray! <laughs> um, so what is funny is that the audio description of that film—I was like, you couldn't find one American to do Captain America. <laughs> oh no! Like really? the movie is called Captain America, <laughs> and. When I say the man who does the audio description is British, I mean it's actually the doctor in a tweed suit drinking tea probably <laughs> while he's recording it. Yeah. I, I'm an Anglophile, and there are still terms that I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I, I am, uh, wow. So, yeah, so it wasn't so, the elevator like, scene, uh, Steve. It was the lift scene. The, the lift scene. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's America's- the lift scene. For instance, they were like, um, the Winter Soldier volleys off the overpass. But instead of overpass, he said, um, oh, my God, what's it called? Flyover. So he's like, he jumps from the flyover onto the bonnet of a car. She tries to garrot him. He fleds to the boot. And then, like, later on in the film, he's like, Fury turns, throws the match over his shoulder. And the lockup is ablaze. And I was like, what's a lockup? That shouldn't even be approved and, by the studio. And it's, you know, for us, it's, 
a storage unit. Wow. Uh, we call it a storage unit, you know, the garage that you can rent, yeah. that you can put your stuff in. Yeah. It, but I was like, this is, you know, it's not even like trying. It's like the most <laughs> British that ever British. <laughs> and it is oh, Captain America Civil War. Yeah. It's done well. It's just completely ridiculous. Right. Because it takes you out of it. You're yeah. like, wow, this is so British. And if you don't know those terms, like bonnet oh, yeah. and boot of a car, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you have no clue. Lift. Yeah. You'd be like, he got attacked in a what? <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, so, so, so yeah. So that's, it is funny. That, that's the phase I guess we got to go through. We First, we got to get them to do it. And then next phase is that, okay, now you got to actually do it well and properly. But I think what's funny is I recently, there's a, a film that someone contacted me about and I was very, very excited about it. And they didn't know about audio description, but they wanted it audio described. And it's an Irish film. And one of the things that they asked me, I said, yeah, I can, um, I can try and find somebody. I have a network of people and I'll, um, you know, throw it out to my students and see if somebody can do the description for you. Absolutely. And they actually requested the producer and the director said, we'd love for it to be an Irish. We want an Irish accent to do the description Mm -hmm. because the whole movie is is in Ireland with Irish actors. And so they specifically requested an Irish voice artist. And I thought that was so great because even cinematically, able-bodied sighted people were like wow it would be really bizarre to have this super irish movie with like an american canadian or or you know british yeah voice that just takes out the continuity because ultimately what you want with description is for it to fade into the background eventually right yeah exactly the, the, the description should become like an audiobook where you're just you're in the story and you're right. just listening to it you shouldn't be distracted by mm-hmm. the describer That's whether right. it's a weird vocal quality or an accent of some kind you you should it should fade into the background and i can see why people would say that about especially because black panther almost became a cultural phenomenon it, for absolutely us. sure yeah um that you know they had this british this yeah. british person these rappers and stuff yeah, like exactly. why um yeah and you know it's funny we had uh we had somebody on um from from a, a company up here called um uh ryan why is that why can't i think of the name descriptive, descriptive video, video works. works thank you yes yeah, yes uh and the big revelation that she had was that, that actually Pornhub is has actually started uh doing audio descriptions as well and has actually contracted them to do some audio descriptions and now that nice. now that's should be the the hoity-toity British guy. I want I want to watch a porn with him doing the, the audio descriptions. Now that would be good. Now I have to tell you, I think that I did hear that Pornhub was doing that, and I I was like, that's that's amazing um and i will protect their anonymity but there is a student who came to us and (laughs) the reason they ended up getting into um the world of disability whatsoever is that they started out by captioning pornos there you go and then they got to you know the point of audio description and one of the things i talk about is that people some of the time they really want to, you know, just assume that 
anyone who has any kind of disability just does not have sex. Just we are not sexual beings. We just can't be, and it's not, it doesn't happen. And so sometimes the description of like a sex scene or something, you know, and it's, they'll be very tame or not describe it at all or like dumb it down. Yeah. And it's like, no, describe it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? You have to describe, we're already watching the rated R movie. Clearly we, <laughs> we know or are prepared for that. Make it filthy. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to get better. It's starting to get better. But sometimes you, you hear, and then it's a fine balance. You know, what terms do you use? Do you go anatomical or do you go like sexy you know like what do you what do you do and so you want to stay within the mood of the scene but you don't want to be distracting and so it's i could see it's yeah it's tricky i never even thought of closed captioning but that's actually a good idea too because i i don't know i I can't be the only one that you sometimes you gotta you you can't be you can't use the sound why is he carrying that pizza box yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, the other thing the other thing i don't understand what the motivations are here Maybe we can get some better acting too. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Like let's let's throw it out there. You know, like if we start having it more accessible to people, maybe people will start watching it or listening to it and going, "Wow, this acting is terrible." <laughs> Need some higher quality porn actors. But you know, but it, and, and you know, t- kind of tongue in cheek. But you know, there's a point to it that you know what. These porn guys, they're smart. Like, they know business models. And if they go, you know what? The visually impaired community, this is a demographic that has been underserved with porn. If we if we audio describe porn, there you go. There's a whole new, new swath of customers right there. And if we're, especially with, there's got to be a reason why they're doing it. So, yeah, see, this porn's making the world a better place. Look at that. They, yeah. they got somebody into, in the disability field and hopefully getting some president out of office. So You never know. <laughs> yeah. <Fingers crossed. laughs> what was that? What? 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 Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, well, listen. Uh, let me know what your address is. I'll come visit. <laughs> and stay for the next three years. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I don't blame you at all. Uh, listen, hey, it was an absolute blast talking to you. Um, we'll have to have you on again because I didn't even get to half my questions. Maybe we'll have you on uh, one day on a new show or something. You can, can co-host with us and or, uh, sit in. One, one of the things you mentioned earlier about uh, uh, people asking if guide dogs could read, I, I sent Rob a link that he can hopefully put into the show notes. Uh, there's a there's a, a comedy festival in Montreal called uh, Just for Laughs, and when it's going on, they put street performers out in various places to to just pull gags on people. One of the ones that they did uh, a few years back was they sent out somebody dressed up as a blind person with a with a guide dog, and they're holding a map, and uh, they're they're asking people for directions and, and saying no no show it to the dog. <laughs> so all all of these people are getting down on the ground and they're pointing at this map in front of this dog that is utterly disinterested in, in anything to do with this map and and it's just so funny because no nobody nobody clued in. Clued in. Oh it's my god. So sad. I've had people do it. Yep. I've asked directions and I've had people kneel down to Joplin and start telling her when you get to this light you're going to go left with your mom okay and then on whisper walk you're going to take a right I'm like why are you telling her? You tell me, please. I'm driving the bus. She's the steering wheel. <laughs> oh, that's all. Yeah, I'll definitely post that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, awesome, Colleen. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yay. Thanks so much.
much for having me. It was awesome. All right, bye. Bye. Bye bye. Cool. I always love talking to other podcasters. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it was wicked awesome. Yeah, yeah we and steal their versus. good ideas and that's right. Make them our own. Haha. <laughs> always love that. Piracy. I love it. Anything that gives makes makes gives us our less show better. work. <laughs> makes our show well, nothing can do that. <laughs> uh yeah, whenever anything that results in less work for us, we're we're all for. Um no, that was cool. I was it's always nice to to talk to somebody else who's a content producer and uh you know, really interesting to talk about uh audio descriptions again. I would love to do another show um talking to to uh somebody in the field. I'd actually um, like to maybe reach out to a company in the States. I think it's WGBH. Okay. Who does, you know, we've had descriptive video works on, but, you know, reach out to somebody else and just kind of get their take on audio description, where it's going. Yeah, it would. It would be really interesting to see if we were making any progress because, mm-hmm. you know, it's been, it's been over a year since we talked to um, descriptive video works. And, uh, you know, we were talking about some of the, the, the mandates. Yep. And so it'd be interesting to see where the mandates are these days and if, if there are plans to, you know, roll out some expansions to that. So get on it, Ryan. Okie dokie. Sounds like a plan. All right. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Didn't I say this earlier? No, All right. No. They can find us again at... It was a glitch in the matrix. A glitch in the matrix. Oh, no. Zombie apocalypse is coming. ATBanter.com is where you can find us. Hey, you can also drop us an email if you would so desire, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're into them social medias things, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, and that's uh, pretty much it. And uh, where can people find Canadian Assistive Technology? Canadian Assistive Technologies can be found at www.canasstech.com. Um, where can people find Mr. Rick Chant? Mr. Rick Chant can be found at chaostechnicalservices.com. And he can fix stuffs, all kinds of stuffs. Anything, anything assistive technology related, he can fix. So if your blah, blah, blah has broken, he can fix it. Can solder that puppy and make it good as new. There you go. Uh, All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening in once again. We will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.